Listen to the CJ McCollum show where every week New Orleans Pelican star CJ McCollum, that's CJ McCollum, discusses names and storylines in and around the NBA with inside perspective you can only get from someone in the locker room and on the floor. That's the CJ McCollum show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast. We're at the quarter mark of the NBA season, and it started with all sorts of off-court stuff. All of it unpleasant, all of it overshadowing basketball. We've talked about it all. It's still relevant. And yet, we're not talking about it today. The biggest story in the NBA, the biggest basketball story in the NBA, and I don't think it's close, is that the Boston Celtics, through 21 games, are on pace to not just have the best offense in the history of the NBA, to shatter, destroy, obliterate every offensive scoring record, efficiency record that has ever been put up ever in the history of the sport. And yes, I know that offenses are generally more efficient now because of the three, even by that standard, they are so far above every other team that has ever played basketball before. It's ridiculous. They lead the league with 120.9 points per 100 possessions. The second place team is five points below them five points is the same as the gap between that second place team I don't even care who it is anymore and the 19th offense in the league that is how dominant this symphony of cuts and screens and off-ball screens and most of all three-pointers is and we got to dig into what in the hell is happening here because in in part it's a carryover of last year where over the last 40 games they had the number one offense in the league but this is a whole different thing Rob Williams hasn't played yet. That's an interesting variable. There's no one I'd rather dig into this with than Brian Scalabrini, the analyst for the Celtics broadcast, Sirius XM Radio, the whole thing. Scal, NBA champion Brian Scalabrini, how are you? I'm doing well. Now, that is is that a Ted Lasso hoodie? Like, am I seeing that right? It is, yeah. That's so great. <laughs> that's so great. That's that's so pop culture. Nice job of you, Zach. Um, yeah, I mean, you want to you want to dig into this. It really, as simple as it sounds, it's not about plays. It's not about a system. It's not about a coach coming up with something that's ahead of the curve. It really is about, you know, elite players making elite decisions and consistently doing that. Now, as a player, I can tell you, I always saw the extra pass, but I couldn't do it at a level where I could decide, can I shoot this ball or should I make the extra pass? And what the Celtics are doing when you watch them they're doing that at, at such a high clip. Everyone's a threat. Everyone could catch. Everyone can one-touch it. And also, they can also catch, not one-touch it, drive, and create that whole scenario all over again. So their elite decision-making, which the NBA has been trending towards that the last five years, they are just at that point where they're mastering it. And we have to talk about Tatum and Brown and their ability to step back and say, for us to be good, we have to move it, and they have been moving it. Now, right around, this is a year where Marcus Smart sort of called out Tatum and Brown. Yeah, they right. said, we all got to move the ball. We all know that those guys are going to get to shots. We all know for us to win, we have to move it. And now a year later, we're talking about the best offense maybe in the history of the league. It, it's It's crazy. And, you know, you watch them play, and you just nailed it. Like, they – can pass ahead of rotating defenses. They're making the extra pass so fast 
that they're moving the ball faster than the defense can move. And when they sense that the defense is actually kind of catching up to them, they, instead of passing, everyone on the floor can pump the close out, drive, and move the ball. And it's – I was thinking of ways to talk about them. They're like the perfect combination right now of speed, of like read and react speed underneath an umbrella of like calculated predatory hunt the right matchup. Like even when they're just moving it, there's always a sense of we know when Tatum and Brown have a weaker defender on them or we're going to start every set by running Tatum off a pin down from a center or having a point guard like Derek White or Malcolm Brogdon come screen for him to start the chain with, you got to make a decision. Switch into a bad matchup against our best player, double, whatever it is, we're going to exploit it. And I think, frankly, Scott, you nailed it last night, and I I would like you to talk a little bit more about this. You... Tatum sent a little set a little flare screen for I can't remember who got a three out of it, maybe smart. And you said something so just on the point of that's a that's like a selfless play by Jason Tatum. And he's setting so many off ball screens for Horford, for Grant Williams. It's like it's not Steph Curry, but it's the same sort of impulse of I'm the best guy. If I set a screen. It's causing all sorts of problems. And man, he's just like, he's a man in full right now. He he can do everything, but the amount of stuff going on and the speed with which they do it underneath this umbrella of where are our best guys and who's guarding them is just, it's a perfect blend. Yeah. So the NBA to me, and, and I, I don't know if everyone looks at offense the same way I do, like the way you win in the NBA, right? You start, you have to bend the defense. So you start that, like it used to be five years ago, you'd run a, a spread pick and roll. You put two on the ball, then you play out of it. You get two on one on the weak side. You get the lob threat, a vertical spacer. A guy comes in. Now you, you know, hit that pass in the corner. That's an example of bending the defense and you get a shot out of it, right? What, what I'm seeing now, which is like, this is unheard of, in, in my opinion. Now, I, I think the Warriors at times have done this in the past, but the fact that, they don't go off the dribble. It, it makes it a little bit different because they have a lot of guys. They can do stuff. Like you can start seeing them bend the defense and all of a sudden Steph throws back to Draymond. Draymond fake handoffs. He gets downhill. He throws it up to, you know, uh, Kevon Looney dunk, right? That's them bending the defense using Steph Curry. I've seen possessions where the Celtics bend the defense. The team will play amazing, recover. In the same possession, bend it again. Ball move around. Teams are on point with their rotations, building out, reading the gather, assessing the threat, building. Then they'll do it again. Now there's, you know, eight seconds on the shot clock. Bend the defense again. And then it's a corner three with three seconds to go. Now, Zach, I'm telling you right now, as an NBA player, like if I, if we or I made multiple efforts and closed out, the, the defense bent and I we stopped that and we got it back, you know, we unbended it and we got it back. Then we did it again and we scrambled out and we fixed it again. By the time it happened the third time and they get a wide open three, I'm telling you right now, it's demoralizing. It's absolutely demoralizing for coaches who want to call a timeout and say, come on, guys, we got to get multiple efforts. Coaches don't want to call a timeout and say, come on, guys, we got to do better. There is no better. There is no better when a team is moving it like that 
and you're playing the best defense you possibly can, and you end up giving up a wide open corner three, like the most valuable shot in basketball outside of the dunk. So that's where you just start seeing a barrage of this. And it's not, it's not like one time, Zach, it's 55 times a game out of the, you know, hundred possessions that they get where they're bending the defense multiple times on a possession. Here's what I mean by their intellect, their combination of intellect and speed. So they're still switching a lot on defense. We can talk about their defense, their average on defense right now. I'm not worried about it all. I think they're going to be an elite defensive team when all is said and done. They still switch a lot. And one of the trickle down benefits of switching a lot is that it screws up the matchups for the other team if you get a stop. So here's what happens against the Kings the other day. They switch and switch and switch. And Kevin Herter gets stuck on Tatum. Now, Kevin Herter's fine. Decent defensive player. Jason Tatum is Jason Tatum. Derek White, who, by the way, all the attention is on Brogdon because he's the new guy and it's always fun to see how the sexy new toy looks. Derek White has maybe been not the his play has been the maybe the most important variable lifting them from elite to like whatever the hell this is. He's shooting like 45% on threes. He's playing with such confidence. Derek White speeds the ball up after a stop and they're doing that. They're playing a little faster this year, and they're doing the thing where they play fast off rebounds just for the sake of playing fast. Like, even if I just drive it and nothing opens up for me, the trail three is going to be there. So Derek White speeds it up. He sees, oh, Tatum's got Herder on him. Pitches the ball back to Tatum. Absolutely no hesitation. Just bowls Herder over for a layup. Same game. Possession number one, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, pick and roll. Tatum's the screener. Okay, it's designed to like you're going to switch De'Aaron Fox or whoever onto Jason Tatum. Good luck. Possession one, they trap it. Smart slips a bounce pass to Tatum, who darts, who cuts to the rim as the screener. Defense rotates up to him. Drop off to Horford. Dunk. Next possession, same play. Smart Tatum pick and roll. While we trapped it, didn't work. Let's switch. Switch a guard onto Tatum. Immediate bully ball floater and one. It's just like every possession Last season, what undid them was it just didn't seem like they were thinking on on a lot of possessions against the Warriors. Like they would ignore good matchups, they would they would attack bad matchups when there were better ones. They would they, they would they're just never doing that anymore. Every possession is this like calculated speed. It's really really impressive. Yeah, it, I think the like the most impressive part about all that is is it's what you're saying they're doing, but they're doing it at an incredible rate. It's they're not doing it like a oh wow. Jason Tatum has Steph Curry on him. Let's spend 10 seconds getting the ball to Tatum. Let's stand around and watch what he does. It's like, it's all happening in a blink of an eye. That's what I was telling you, like with the whole bending the defense. To to bend the defense three separate times on a possession, you have to go fast. So they're doing all that. Like you just said, like they're coming down. Kevin Hurd's on Tatum. You move it to Tatum. Now Tatum all of a sudden drives and comes over. Then you start moving that thing. And eventually you're just going to give up a wide open look. So like, it's been really impressive to see. I think a lot of the, I think it's like a conglomerate of teams that kind of play out of ISO, like the Phoenix Suns kind of pick on certain individual matchups who are a very good team, by the way. Maybe they like Devin Booker on this guy. Combine that with the Golden State Warriors to do a lot of split action and off-ball action. You're like, you're blending that in. Combine that with having superstar players that can at any point, not off the catch, off the rip, off the dribble, they can break you down and then once again, bend the defense. So, Zach, I'm all into this number right here. It's never been done. 
could this be the first time that we see like a 50, 40, 90 is like this huge historic thing. I don't think we're going to get to 90% from the free throw line as a team, but that's not as, as relevant as we have never seen a 50% from the field, a 40% from the uh, three point line on a, um, on a, a team, team level. On a, a, so last night obviously was ridiculous last night. They started out at 49% from the field they ended up on the game 46%. And I think if they didn't, and that's like, this is 20 games in. It's hard to like go up a point. Uh, if they didn't put in like the, I hate using the word garbage time because I lived in garbage time. It's not garbage. It's like, what? but this is lack of a better term. Like that, it made the percentage go down. They only scored like 19 points in the fourth quarter, but like they had a chance of raising their percentage up one point and being a, a legit 50% from the field, 40% from three. If you get that from a team, like that's insane to get. And, and and the Celtics right now are flirting with it every single night. Well, and and you mentioned garbage time and how you don't like that term. Um, one of the stories of their season, I mentioned White, who's been just fantastic. And we saw how gun shy he got at, uh, when the lights were brightest last year. Hopefully, I know they've worked. Ben Sullivan, one of their assistant coaches, has worked on Derek White's shot a lot. It seems to have worked. One of the other stories of the season is like, whenever Peyton Pritchard comes in, Good stuff happens on both ends of the floor. Yeah. Whenever Luke Cornett comes in, good stuff happens on both ends of the floor. Elite rim protection. I mean, who was it? Ubre that tried him twice in a row last night, and he yeah. was like, "Yeah, no, get that, get that out of here." Um, Sam Hauser is everyone kind of like it became a punchline how like oh all these Celtics guys are hyping up Sam Hauser. He's good and he can shoot off movement, which is an ingredient that I, I remember talking about it last year when they were approaching the trade deadline and the white rumors started. I talked about how, man, I would love to, for this team. I like Derek White as a basketball player. I just wish they could find a movement shooter because it's an ingredient they don't have, and it would just it would just snap up their offense. Yeah, give them another another way to draw too. He he does that, and those guys are all like like two of those guys, Pritchard and Cornett, might not even be in the rotation in the playoffs for some games at least, and they're they're coming in and they're killing it, just top to bottom. This team is 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 outrageously good. And to your point about the Warriors stuff, I, I bookmarked it first game of the season. We talked about it on NBA today. Early in that game against Philly, right? The opening is Philly. Smart posted up, which is something I've always liked. And he's doing it more this year than ever in his career. It's not yeah. much, but it's more than his career. Posted up and they ran a split action that created an open three for Tatum. One of those actions where Smart posts up, he draws a little help. And on top of him, uh, right above the arc, there's two guys screening for each other. Tatum pops free. I bookmarked that, and I was like, ooh, that wasn't a big part of their playbook last year. Same thing with these staggered screens and these Spain pick and rolls where it's like Horford and Tatum are the screeners. So you put your center and your best player in that screening action. It's like it just creates all sorts of problems. Like the other team's centers involved. Oh, my God, the best player is moving over there. What the hell are we supposed to do? It's just they've, they've just amped it up. Joe Missoula. Is a really good offensive coach. I mean, that's the bottom line. Yeah, he lets those guys go. Like, I think they have. I I see him call about five plays a game, and out of that, it's just a way of like kind of organizing them to get into it. But I don't know. They'll do things like two guys will randomly run up to the pick immediately. One guy will fly to the corner. It's 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 just like they're just reading basketball at such a high level right now. And Joe was talking about these guys. Their basketball IQs are off the chart. So Joe doesn't like get bogged down in the weeds because for the most part, like they're, they're like flowing out of all this action. So instead of, and, and this is like, 
and you, I can hear a lot of coaches talking about this now. Like instead of me calling plays, we have to teach action. Like we want to teach what like two man action looks like. And what does that mean for the rest of the people? I will say this, Zach, I will say that I, I personally like when the Celtics run any type of four out one in, it doesn't have to be like shelling out a post player. It could be Marcus smart. You know, I like it when like, I like the lineup when Luke Cornett's out there, especially with a guy like Jason Tatum, I think their five out is good when they were at their best or five out, they were cutting a lot better lately. I don't know. It just feels like they've settled into not cutting. I just think we're against really elite teams. It's going to be great because we're recording this on case Tuesday. We got Miami and Miami Wednesday and Friday. I'm really curious to see how like Miami is not going to go for five out. I can tell you right now, the way that they spread out now, maybe our offense and decision-making is just too good, but in general, I feel like the best the best version of the Celtics is always having a guy cutting to the basket or like a Luke Cornett relocating or when Rob Williams comes back and he's that you know vertical threat. So that's what I think the like I I I know it sounds weird. It's a historic offense. I think there is actual room for improvement when a Rob Williams comes back and they have like more of that vertical spacer at the rim. Well, they're not going to shoot. I, maybe they will. I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to shoot 41% from three as a team the whole year. And they're, they're an elite. Why, why not? Well, maybe they will. I don't know if they do like, it's screw it. Like we're all, we're all screwed. Um, <laughs> and, and long twos, they're killing it. Jalen is Jalen Brown shooting 55% on long twos. Maybe that comes down that, that will probably come down. So to, to your point, maybe they do at some point have to sort of not diversify, but make sure they're slicing inside and I was going to ask you, the biggest question now is, I think Joe Missoula has kind of revealed through his lineup choices that he leans a little towards smaller and spacing. I think he likes that starting five where they start white, smart, brown, Tatum, Horford. So only one big. I think he likes that better than the Grant Williams, Al Horford version. And so I, I what do you think happens when Rob comes back? Do they go right back to starting? Horford and Rob Williams with uh, smart Tatum Brown, or, or is there any chance like Rob does Rob Williams become like six man ish yeah. Rob Williams? Yeah. My guess, like, listen, you never know. And like what their intent is, it's obviously until you see it. Like, I, I think when we're in the playoffs, I can't imagine Rob is not starting. I do think in the regular season, just to keep his minutes down, I think you would see him, you know, coming off the bench, but like my, if you had, if you had to ask me, like this is the best team I've ever covered. I think this team, I'd be shocked if they don't end up winning a championship. Like something has to happen where it doesn't happen. But I am a little bit worried about Al Horford's minutes. Blake Griffin started last night. That was great. Oh my like, God, that dunk, that alley oop. <laughs> I thought Grant Williams, who was on the bench, was going to like run into the tunnel and never come back. The The celebration was it was an awesome, you know, it's we're laughing about it. We all know who Blake Griffin was in the league. Yeah, for sure. We all know what happened to his body and how fast it happened and how prematurely kind of his career not ended, but he's not Blake Griffin anymore. That was an awesome moment. Like, yeah. I, I'm I'm happy for him that he had a game like that. And 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 he was great. Like. That role was supposed to be Danilo Gallinari to sort of Al Horford, Gallinari, kind of go back and forth and see, like, just how to navigate their regular season. But, you know, like, those things are important. And I think Al Horford, I don't know, it's just my opinion. I know they have 100 
Australian medical sports science guys walking around. I don't even know every one of their names and I see them every day, but I know what their job is. Their job is to make sure that Al Horford is healthy toward comes into the year and that's everybody. And so, you know, I think when Rob Williams comes back, you'll see, you know, a little bit of out Al, like Al Horford's minutes will take a dip, which will be a good thing. But I don't think that Rob will start off the jump. And I don't think that that guy like should be a guy that you play all those minutes. And it'd be great if Luke Cornett continues to play as this year goes along. And if, if and if Luke Cornett is not a playoff player, which I don't know if he is or isn't, he definitely has assured himself a regular season player where he could no impact question. the game, impact winning, or just keep you afloat. Like there's, there's no doubt about it that this team's depth is going to be really important moving forward. And I think that's everybody. Joe Mazzula in that Washington game tried so hard not to put his starters back in, you know, Jalen Brown, but it's just like the lead shrunk from 29 to 14. And so I think that would be the next challenge. Can you navigate a season winning games, being great, but still not play guys like 37 minutes a night? Like that's the challenge. Well, one of the, one of the positives about their start offensively is that they've been absolutely lights out dominant when it's just Tatum and when it's just Brown, like they don't, they haven't suffered at all. When one of them sits, part of that is white. Part of that is Brogdon, who we should probably talk about. Yeah. Brogdon, he fits everything that we're talking about. IQ, decision-making, shooting, passing. The other thing about him is that hasn't been talked about as much. He's another something from nothing guy late in the shot clock. Like if a team actually does defensively, what you talked about two, three sets of rotations, Okay, I'll just like kind of burrow bully ball drive in and get a layup or just I'll run like a normal high pick and roll and shoot along too. like he's another the more guys you have that in a pinch with five on the shot clock can get you a decent shot from like nothing. I think that's an underrated part of what he's brought to their team. You see, the thing about Brogdon and he's he's mentioned it. And I never heard a player talk about it like this, even though I think maybe they think about it. Listen, I was never a star player, so I didn't I, – my, my, I never thought like this. But Brogdon said, look, I was the main guy. But being the main guy for 35 minutes a night, that, that's hard to do. My body, he's admitted, my body couldn't handle that type of workload. But he plays like the main guy, but he plays like 20 minutes a night. And he has no problem handling that workload. And you're right, like something out of nothing, right? That's that's the key here. Tatum can do it. Brown can do it. You know, Brock, White could do it. But really, Brogdon can get to the basket like with four seconds on the shot clock and get you a decent point-blank layup. Most of the time, it's with his left hand. And so that's also, once again, from a psychological standpoint, going against this team, it's also demoralizing that you did everything right. And Malcolm Brogdon, who checked into the game, just got right to the basket and got a a point blank layup after you just had a great defensive possession. So, yeah, underrated pickup. And he when he's on the floor, don't be mistaken by he is the man like. He's the guy and he's aggressive. He is like out there as a, a, a one option or a two option. And I think it's great because it allows like that group. One of my favorite groups the Celtics have is the Tatum Brogdon and then Hauser, Cornette and Grant Williams. Like that group, you see the best version of Tatum 
You'll get the best version of Brogdon, Hauser, Cornette, and Grant Williams. Like, everyone's playing at their peak with that group. And Tatum, that's when you start talking about MVP. He does it with the starters. But, man, when he gets in with that group, like, he he himself goes to another level. And I think having Brogdon out there helps him with that. I think Tatum Tatum's at 31 a game, eight rebounds, four and a half assists, 48% shooting. I think at worst, he's third in MVP right now, and he's probably past Luka given the Mavs' recent struggles to be second. He's playing defense at a borderline all-defense level. Like, Scout, I don't – he's too young for these conversations to really start in earnest. But, I mean, what he's doing is if he's a Celtic for life for most of his career – he has a chance to be historically for the one of the two historic giants in the league as as great as any player who's ever worn that uniform, including Bird. I mean, it's yeah. it's too early because you God only knows what could happen, but like that's how good Jason Tatum is right now. Yeah, I mean, he's good and it, it comes down to just banner. So that's why, you know, like you asked me to come on here. So I'm gonna need a favor from you. Like I'm I'm not here to convince you, I'm just here to show you the light. He is, he is the MVP of the league through a quarter of the season. He's on the best team. Like he played, he, he just sat out a game, but he plays every night. He's like, he's durable. He defends, he rebounds. He has defensive versatility, offensive versatility. You see him in the post, you see him in the mid range. You see him from three catch and shoot. You see uh, how him. About, how about a, how about a block a game? Yeah. I mean, at this point when I, you know, like, you can make that. You can make the Luca uh, argument. Luca's nasty, right? Their team is struggling, but he's unbelievable. I think right? it's. I think it's Curry, Tatum, one, two, in some order right now. And I had when I did it a week ago with Pelton. I had Curry number one. If you look at his numbers and the on-off numbers and the Warriors yeah. are starting to win, but you're right, seventeen and four, seventeen and four. Like, it, I, look, if I had a vote right now, I don't know who I'd vote for, but uh, he's he's right there. And if they have the best record in the league, he's probably going to win, and that would be t- completely fine. I, I mean. Where where are you at? Like I like I I love Curry too. I do, but 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 Tatum is taking on like he takes on the best matchup every night defensively. Not only does he take it on, but he like wants it. He like the, I watched him play against John Moran, and he was like at the end of the game, it was a close game. He, wait, I got John Moran. This is what people want to see. I got Luka Doncic. Luka's smart though. Luka had him. He's like, you know what? Come over here and set a pick. I don't want this guy on me. Like, I don't want this 6'10 frame on me that if I can't use that little step back and get, and you know, you went one for two against him. That's not, that's Luca saying to himself, like, I'm just not going to deal else. with this. You know? yeah, give me I'm not else. into your matchup, your MVP matchup, and for you guys to see this, I'm just going to go with a matchup that I like. So, like, Tatum is doing that. I'm mean, like, we're, eventually we're going to play against Kevin Durant on Sunday. Like, he's going to want to see that matchup. By the way, Durant's playing nasty, too, right now. Durant is is playing crazy. Unbelievable. So, like, a lot of guys guys might duck that. It's better for the team, for me not. We have defensive players to do that. Like, when your best player is doing that, come on, that sets a big-time tone in the locker room. I had to – I had, like, Derrick Rose was like that when I was in Chicago. He won the MVP. He loved the matchup. You know, uh, like Kevin Garnett, he didn't win the MVP, but you tell he was in that conversation. He loved the matchup. When your best players, Jason Kidd at times loves to go against the mat. When your best players are doing that, Zach, it changes the entire complexity of your team when your best player is, is wanting to take on 
the other team's best player defensively, not just worried about their numbers. And we mentioned, you mentioned screening and sacrifice. And, you know, they run this pet play where Horford or Grant Williams, ever at center, will set a pin down on the left side of the floor in the left corner for Tatum to come off the pin down and catch the ball on the move with an advantage. If Tatum sees Horford's guy hanging back in the paint to protect penetration, he'll abort the play and screen instead for Horford and screen both guys and let Horford or Grant Williams come out and shoot an open three. Like that's the kind of stuff you're talking about. And like one of the numbers of the season, I looked this up this morning last year, Celtics set 48 off ball screens per 100 possessions. That was in the middle of the league this year. They're up almost at 60 in the top five in the league. And they're scoring like off the charts when they do that. And a lot of that is Tatum. Like he's using his himself as a weapon in lots of different ways. And, you know, look, Rob is going to come back. That's going to change the five out spacing a little bit, but it all obviously increases their upside on defense with the rim protection and all that. And just, you know, to win four playoff series, you need every, every tool of the toolbox, every look. So I think their ceiling only goes higher when he comes back, even if their offense takes a little dip as they kind of adjust to his presence and what he does to their spacing. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm not sure. I mean, it's going to take a dip because right now it's just, it, it, if it look, if it doesn't take a dip, if we're having this, if they're at 120 points per hundred possessions in February, they're going to be like 42 and six or something like that. Yeah. I just, Rob is a, like, I like Luke Cornette a lot, a lot. I think he's, I told everybody at the beginning of the year, you guys probably haven't watched him enough. He passes at a high level. He's a, above the rim threat, but Rob is a better version of Luke Cornette. So it's, I just think, I really believe that it's going to get better. I just, I, I do there. The ability to make the right read doesn't go away. Playing, having a superstar player that carries the team, that comes and goes. The right play, moving the ball, unless there's like crazy injuries, but it doesn't seem like they can, they seem like they can sustain that. That doesn't go away. And they had their moments, like they've lost to Chicago twice, two bad losses, Cleveland twice, not bad losses. Cleveland's better than people think, but and like shot the lights out. And yeah, but, but they like, I just feel like this is what you're going to get. So what we saw last year, historic, ridiculous game four by Steph Curry sort of changed and took the momentum. There were times last year where they were turning the ball over. Zach, I did a, a advanced stat. They're second in the league and assist to turnover, two assists to one turnover. So the turnovers are down. It, the turnovers last year really killed them. So if, if they just shore up a, a few small things, yeah, this team is going to be, I mean, it's going to be a really interesting run, playoff run. And what this what this group ends up doing? Well, you just nailed a really interesting thing about the Celtics. Is despite the fact that I think they will be an elite defense team, they're decent now by the numbers. They're last in forcing turnovers, and they're last in deflections by like a lot. And you wouldn't expect that given their personnel. They also don't offensive rebound at all, and you're like, oh, that's okay. Maybe that that sort of seems right. They play small a lot. They care about transition defense, and then you look, it's like. If those are quote unquote weaknesses, they're compensating for them with the exact strengths, like mirror image strengths. They're they have the fourth lowest turnover rate in the NBA. So it doesn't even matter if they're not forcing turnovers. Like it would be nice. They their offense would spike even more because they get fast breaks, but they're not turning it over. And they're sixth in defensive rebounding 
which is a massive, massive story for them because it's been not a weak spot, but not a strong spot the past couple of seasons. I wrote about their gang rebounding in my column a couple of weeks ago. Their their gang, like all the wings and guards are coming back to crash. If this team can maintain sixth in defensive rebounding, the way they run and score off rebounds, that's a huge, huge deal. So even their weaknesses, quote unquote, are are compensated by the exact strengths you'd want to compensate. Like, I don't know. They're to, for them to be fourth in turnovers and moving it the way they are, they're mm-hmm. eighth in assist rate. They were 14th last season, so their assists are up a bit. <laughs> I mean, it's a it, it's a tribute to really their two best guys. Even though Jalen Brown's assist to turnover ratio is still kind of close to equal, he's he's a more polished scorer, 26 a game, and Tatum is Tatum. I mean, they are they are a machine. Yeah, I did this podcast with you when the Celtics were struggling. I don't know if it was last year or the year before. And Probably early talk- last season. And I, we talked about the hockey. No, no, it was with Brad. It was with Brad. So the hockey assist, they were like 28th, 29th in hockey assist. And a lot of people didn't like make a lot of it. A lot of people asked the coaches staff about it. I, I see all the writers. They do listen to uh, your podcast. So, um, but this year they're number one hockey assist. And they're, so you could just tell like, if you, if you, if I just said, watch, what do you think they are in hockey assist? And you watch the NBA top five for sure. Yeah. So I think they're number one this year in hockey assist. And I do believe in the NBA now with defenses as sophisticated as they are, like coaches are so much better. Players are so much better at taking away the three. I, I do think that's a, uh, a stat that if it stands out as if you want to be a great offensive team, you've got to make extra passes and you've got to be able to knock down shots off those extra passes. And that's what the Celtics do right now at a high clip. Look, here's here's the bottom line. I picked the Bucks to win the title this year. That was my preseason pick. I stick by the preseason pick. I don't, I just like, that's what it is. I still think they can win the title. There's just no argument that a quarter of the way through the season, the Celtics are the championship favorites. They well, are. Don't you have to wait and see Chris Middleton? You do. And that's why I've said all along, I remain optimistic yeah. about the Bucks. But just by the numbers right now, they're on pace for like 60 wins. Yeah. Uh, 538 and basketball reference have them about 60 wins, which is like seven more than anybody else. 538 has them a 30% chance of winning the finals, which is double anybody else. Like I don't, again, I don't buy that. I'm sticking with my Bucks pick, but yeah. they have been beyond impressive. And the last thing is like my favorite thing about, t- not my favorite thing, but one thing you notice every game. For a team that a year ago, as you said, Smart was calling them out. They were like, it was infighting and like, oh my God, is this a disaster? They are taking so much joy in the success of their teammates. Like you'll see Tatum, he doesn't have to be involved in the play. Like when Derek White shoots an open three, he'll have the three, he'll yeah. have the arm up with the three rays, pumping his fist, cheering. Like that's the sign of good stuff happening when your whole team is like, not just the bench guys who, Bench guys always celebrate when they're guys who are resting. Always, the guys on the court are like, "That was an awesome play we just made together." I'm happy you made that shot. That's the sign of good. It sounds cheesy, but it's a real thing. Yeah, I mean, just going back to your um, and yes, this team really gets along and and they 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 play the right way. They they care about winning and all that. But just going back to your Bucks pick, like I got a chance to interview Giannis this year before the season and Steph Curry. Like I'm as a Celtic fan who wants my team to win, I'm scared to death of those two guys. Like they just they have a be. they have a, a non-quit in them that is a it's a scary thing for a team because it's not like you you go in there and like with Steph Curry, you have to beat him and you have to like it's like it's almost like you have to take his soul. I think the same thing about Giannis. Like last year, how did he 
how did he push the Celtics to game seven? That team had no business being out there with that, with the Celtics, but he's just a scary guy for me like that from a, a guy who it's probably the same way people thought of Michael Jordan back in the nineties. Like you, you to beat Michael Jordan, what do you have to do? So four times, four times. Yeah, I know you, I know. So it's like, that's where, when it comes to the bucks and I know the Warriors are struggling right now and like the Warriors will be different when the playoffs start and all that stuff. And I do think the Celtics are the best team in the NBA and they can win, but like all the it's, it's not you to beat those guys. You've got to go to a whole new level. And that's where I want to see the Celtics be able to do that, show that I want to watch these matchups. And like, it is, it is very difficult to beat those guys when they're full strength. And that's what I, I, I think the Celtics can get to that point. I think that their defense will get to that point. I think their mentality will get to that point, but that was the thing that beat them last year. Like the, mentality of like, man, we got loose with the basketball, like let Miami go on a 23 to two run, like those things. We're not seeing anything like that team this year, but you still have to go through those two guys. If those teams are healthy, they're going to be a challenge. I think the Celtics are going to win, but man, those two guys are impressive individuals. And we'll see what the Sixers have to say about it if they ever get healthy. And the next few games for the Celtics, you mentioned Miami, a back a, a two game series in Boston with the Heat, who always seem to play the Celtics tough. And then, Brooklyn, and you can better believe that KD remembers Tatum outplayed him in the playoffs last year, starting a whole conversation about like, whoa, is, is Tatum the best guy in this series and blah, blah. Um, I'm going to bring on Tim Bontemps now to talk about the Miami Heat, but Brian Scalabrini, we will do this again. I look forward to seeing you soon in Boston. Just an unbelievable job on the broadcast with the Hall of Famer, Mike Gorman. Um, keep up the great work, my friend. All right. Thanks, Zach. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's talk about the very strange and maybe discouraging season of the Celtics' next opponent in their next two games. Actually, the Miami Heat, 10 and 11, was it was borderline DEFCON 1 for a second when they were 7 and 11. They've now won three in a row, two over the Wizards and one over the Hawks, who are kind of flailing around a little bit recently. To get to 10 and 11 and stabilize like the Heat always seem to do. They always seem to stabilize. Are we playing five two-way guys in G-Leaguers? Yeah, we still kind of won a six-minute stretch. We stabilized our team. 
Bam out of bio playing like an all-star scoring, like an all-star scoring more than ever. Uh, Jimmy Butler, maybe back soon ish from lingering knee issues. That's kind of not encouraging. Um, when they were seven and 11, Tim Bontemps, I started thinking, is it over? Is it just over? Like, is the window, is the Butler window closed? Um, do they have another move in them? Is the move this summer? Is the move now? Is this just a placeholder season for them? And now they've won three in a row. You know they're going to punch above their weight. That's what they do. They're up to eighth in defense. That's what they do. They're plus 10 per 100 possessions when Jimmy and Bam are on the court together. It hasn't been that much, but they're plus 10. That's something. What is this team, Tim Bontemps? I think they're a, a decent to good team that, I mean, when you talk about their window being closed, I, I think unless they can swing, you know, one of these Miami Heat, you know, moves to get another big time player with not a lot of stuff. I, I do think the window is kind of closed for them being a championship caliber team. Cause uh, if you look at the way their seasons played out, even with the injuries, I came into the year wondering if they were going to have enough juice offensively to really be able to hang with these elite teams. And ultimately when you watch them play that, that's just the the thing that just, I keep coming back to like for as good as Bam Adebayo has been, if he's one of your top two players, I just don't know if your offense is going to really be able to be good enough to hang with the likes of the Bucks and the Celtics and, and you know, be a team that's a true contender to get out of the East. And, you know, obviously if they get Jimmy back to get healthy, they start hitting some more shots, their offense is going to look better. But that was my fear about them coming into the season. And so far in the limited time they've been healthy when I was actually around them at the start of the year when they played Boston and Toronto. That was the question I came away with then. It's the one I still have now. Yeah, I mean, half-court offense is going to be the question for this team always. Um, you know, I can hear the Heat fans. I can hear hashtag Heat Nation right now saying, wait, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. We made the finals in 2020, and we're a Jimmy Butler in and out three from beating the Oh, the juggernaut Celtics. Everyone's so scared of the Celtics. Oh, my God, the Celtics. Oh, the Bucks. We've also beaten them in the playoffs, by the way. We're Jimmy Butler in and out three for making the 2022 finals, and, and you're you're writing us off? We're, we're the eighth eighth best defense, despite the fact that we've been missing all these guys with that P.J. Tucker walking here. You're writing us off? Plus 10 with Jimmy and Bam on the floor? Kyle Lowry starting to perk up? Now, perk up like... Kyle's like, been good. Kyle is second in the league in minutes. That's right. The only reason the Heats are even afloat right now is because Kyle has been really good while they've had all these injuries. Although I will say, number one, second in the in minutes scares me. Like I, I'm sure. worried that they're doing what the Nets did to a, a lesser player in Patty Mills last year, where they just played him to death in the first forty games of the season to survive. I, I would like if Kyle just wanted to take two weeks off and go to the beach right now. I'd be cool with that. Um. Kyle be going to play golf if he was taking two weeks off, but that's the only difference. Well, there. whatever, whatever he wants. I know he's he is a big golfer. Whatever he wants to do to be to be second in minutes. Um, but you know, and and defensively, they're on pace to shatter the record for most zone defense ever played in the recorded history yeah. of the NBA. They've already played 570 possessions of zone. The record. The record is like a thousand, and we're twenty. There, so they're going to double the record. But they're they're scraping by. We can talk about their zone and why I think it works for whatever reason. But I can hear the Heat Nation saying, "Wait a second, you're writing us off. You're writing us off." Kyle Lowry's perking up. 
Tyler Hero's back after he was injured for a while. Had his nice has a nice two man chemistry with Bam on these little wing pick and rolls. Got Bam a bunch of lob dunks recently. Yeah, Victor Oladipo is alive. I mean, he's um, alive. Is he, he going ex- to play? That's a he, great question. Though. He exists. <laughs> uh, we have some doesn't exist picks. as a basketball player though. We have some draft picks to to to, pl- to play, and we're always a tough out. But I think a couple of things have happened. They they the Jimmy Health stuff is worrisome. Let's just be optimistic and assume he's healthy in the playoffs. Even though last playoffs he had to miss games. Sure. Um, Boston's better, and Milwaukee's going to be better. Like the top of the East and the middle of the East. So I forget the middle. I mean, Cleveland, you know, the mid tier to good playoff teams. The top playoff teams are also better. And that's, I think, is much the reason why it feels like the moment has passed Miami um, as anything else. Like, I, I'm never going to doubt this team. I've learned better than to doubt them. But it's one thing to say you can go toe to toe with any one team, get some breaks in a playoff series. It's another thing to say, I could, I'm just making this up. I can go Philly, Milwaukee, Boston, Toronto, Milwaukee, Boston in a row, beat three of those teams in a row. It seems like a little bit of a stretch. Well, look, last year, they didn't have to play the two best teams in the East, right? They had to play one of them. And the Celtics, you know, as we saw throughout the playoffs, had their ups and downs and, Miami, as you said, was, you know, was one Jimmy Butler three from winning that series and, and going to the finals. But the way this year is shaking out, it's going to take a lot for Boston and Milwaukee to not be the top two teams in the East. And so that means, to your point, if you're getting out of the Eastern Conference, you got to beat both of them. And I, I just, as it stands right now, this Heat team has too many flaws to me to be a legitimate contender to beat either Milwaukee or Boston, let alone both of them. By the way, that's the same for this whole group of teams, Toronto, Cleveland, Atlanta. Um, you know, I'm, I'm forgetting one of the, the group of five teams. Oh, Philly, obviously that, that whole group of teams on so three to seven, you put them in a hat, any, you know, they could go any order from three to seven to me between now and the end of the season. What but I weird... think all of them have real flaws below Boston and Milwaukee. Um, you know, and like you said, Sure, Miami's got the ability, you know, they've got an incredibly creative front office. They've got arguably the best coach in the league. You know, if anybody's going to pull off a trade to improve this team, it's them. But there's just a lot of structural flaws with this team. I think it's going to make it hard. Well, and Hero is hard to trade this season because of his extension. He's also essential to their team. As much as Tyler Hero has become kind of a polarizing player among NBA diehards, like there was this whole, is, is he really better than RJ Barrett debate, which I think is and was a worthy debate to have. He's a good player yes he's a minus defender we all know that we get that he he's a pretty good rebounder they need his playmaking a lot on this team because Kyle Lowry is just not going to be an elite driver playmaker in fact man he could he take a layup like once could he take a layup I know you know we like everyone just Ben Simmons career was temporarily ruined by one pass out of a layup with Trey Young as the only defender under the rim. Kyle Lowry made that exact pass two nights ago against Hawks. Wide yep. open layup. Yeah. Trey Young was not even near. He was like five feet away. And he kicked to Caleb Martin. God bless his soul. Caleb Martin's playing really well. If Caleb Martin's your starting power forward, I don't know if you're a title contender. I'm like, Kyle, can you right. even the even the heat broadcast was like, 
can you maybe shoot a layup, my man? Like you're <laughs> right there. I don't know. I saw the same play. I, I had the same reaction. I was like, this is today's NBA. We're passing out of layoffs for three. But that was the same play that like Ben Simmons was raked over the coals. And I understand it's game seven of a playoff series. It's yeah. Different, but and he's also, he's also, he's also, he's also 11 inches taller than <laughs> Kyle Lowry too. It's just another slight difference. <laughs> I'm just saying, take a layup. They're going to need, you need all it's the points you can point. get, man. You need all the point, all the easy points you can get. Um, it's a fair point. I do think, you know, there's one obvious name to keep an eye on with the Heat. Might be more of an off-season thing than an in-season thing. Can you can you guess the name? Uh, I'm not sure, actually, but with you saying it's an off-season thing. Who is it? Well, Who are you thinking of? Um, I, I think they're, ever, they're forever going to be linked to sniffing around, investigating, thinking about, analyzing, holding meetings about Bradley Beal. If and oh, when. right. If and when the Wizards ever get there, and the Wizards are a game over 500, so maybe they'll never get there. And of course, he has a no trade clause. You know, the Heat have a good record of sort of prying away, as you said, the, the Heat, these Heat deals where they get great players like Jimmy Butler for a song. And, but that may be down the line. If this is their team, more or less, right? If this is their team this season, I think they I think their defense will carry them. I think the 538 has them for like 46 wins. Uh basketball reference, I can't remember off the top of my head, mid four yeah, something like that. That's about I right. That's, I, that seems about right to me. And you know, They're right in that band of those five teams, Cleveland, Atlanta, Philly, Toronto, Miami. Put those teams they're gonna be somewhere, I think, between three and seven, all of them. And could be third, could be seventh. I think all those series in the middle of the East playoffs are gonna be awesome because all those teams have you know, differing flaws and they're, they're really competitive and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out, but yeah, I mean, they're just, they're, they've got a solid, a very solid team, but they just have these really strong flaws that are just going to make it difficult. Like you mentioned Tyler hero, he is really critical to what they, they do. They really need him to be a creator offensively, but if you're leaning on Tyler hero that much, to be honest, you're just not that level of a team in my opinion because well, at the other end of the court in particular you're going to get demolished in the playoffs because teams are going to line him up they're going to go right through him and it's going to be a huge problem and that's where there's a difference between the best teams and the rest of the league that's because right. if you if you look at the numbers you know the the numbers say you ask this question can you survive defensively with Hero and Struess on the floor, because you need their shooting. They're two of your top five players right now. Yep. Your inclination would be to say, well, no, that's, you know, Struess is, Struess is okay in some matchups. Tyler Hero is not. Yep. The numbers are elite, regular season and playoffs the last two years, but you've seen it with Jay, you line up Jason Tatum or Giannis Antetokounmpo or whoever, Chris Middleton. It's a little uglier against those kind of players. The playoffs um, have become about minimizing your weaknesses. It's really more than anything else. You look over the past few years, you look at the teams that have won, like when Toronto won, Toronto ran out eight or nine guys who there weren't real there wasn't really a weakness at either end. Some of them, you know, Mark Gasol wasn't much of a shooter by the end. Other guys weren't great defensive players, but there wasn't a there's a guy you're just gonna go at every time. The Celtics last year didn't have a guy at either end you really were gonna go at every time and have success against, you know, it, but if you have a guy who either doesn't shoot or can't play offense or is a, is a guy, you're just going to line up an attack on defense over and over and over again. When you get into the later stages of the playoffs, teams are just going to relentlessly hunt that over and over and over. And it's, it's not going to end well for your team. 
Well, and, you know, we talked about their half court offense and why those two guys feel so essential. And it's when you have Butler and Bam on the floor, you have two guys who are not three pointers. Now, Jimmy's shooting 36% from three on, on, by his standards, high volume, right? Bam is a non-shooter from deep. Even his, his long two kind of comes and goes. And you have Caleb Martin on the floor with them. He's hanging in the dunker spot. Like the spacing just gets as, as smart as those dudes are, as much as they can make something from nothing is with handoffs and cuts and whatever. It just gets a little gummy sometimes. And Caleb Martin shooting well from three, too. It's just he's in the dunker spot a lot and people just don't respect him as a shooter. Yep. So you feel like you need those two guys. Um, but you know, can you survive defensively? It, look, the vision for them is in the playoffs, Jimmy's a top 10 player. I think that's been proven out. Jimmy Butler is a monster. He's a top 10 two-way player when the chips are down. Monster. I voted for him for Easter Conference Finals MVP last year. You don't need to sell me. Oh, I forgot about that. I forgot that was even what is that named after Bird? Is that the Larry Bird I trophy? Have, and I the other no, one's the Magic Johnson trophy. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I um don't know. And and after that, the vision is, A, we defend well because we're the Heat, and B, we have an apex guy who may not be like a 30-a-game guy, although sometimes he is. And then it's this sort of democratic, everybody can hurt you, Kyle, Hero, Bam. Yep. All these guys are capable of getting 20 on any yep. particular night. That's the vision. And as I said, they're plus 10 with Jimmy and Bam. Their starters who have barely played together are a solid plus. And by the way, I got to have Perk on to, to debate this because I am so tired of like, well, I'm disappointed in Bam out of bio. When is Bam out of bio going to average 27 points a game? When is Bam out of bio going to carry his load as the number two guy? Like the Heat have a lot of problems. Bam out of bio is not one of the <laughs> Heat's problems. He's averaging 21 points a game, nine rebounds, three assists, 55% shooting on twos. He's making a case for defensive player of the year in his own right. Yeah. And Look, I mean, one of the reasons I like their zone is it keeps him closer to the rim where they really need him near the rim because they're so small other than him. Like, he's not going to average 27 a game. I, I There just aren't many big men who are going to do that. He right. is going to average 20. On some nights when he's feeling it or you need it, he's going to get you 28. This is not quite who he is. Like, I think he does have 22, 23 in him. But like, I just, I, I know why we do it. Cause we're like, well, the number two guy needs to do more. That's not the vision for the heat. Yeah. The heat not the problem here. Just not no. at all. I love bam. I mean, I, he's a, he's a fantastic player. He's the definition of the modern NBA big, right? He could switch out to the perimeter. Like you said, he, he could protect the rim and guard point guards in a pinch. Um, He can handle the ball in offense, but at the other end of the court, I mean, while he is a terrific passer, he does a lot of things on offense. He isn't a guy that's going to be your number one or two guy on a championship level team, right? He is your third guy in theory, a guy who is going to be an 18 to 20 a point a game guy. And then that that's and that's to me like, yeah, like Bam isn't going to get to 27, 28 a game. But because of that, that's why I look at this heat team and they just feel like they're a guy short, right? Because in theory, you have Bam and you have Jimmy and then you have a third guy who is your other high scoring guy that goes with them. And then you've got, you know, kind of the traditional big three, and then you're a championship caliber team. I'm sure, like you said, heat nation is sitting at home screaming, saying Tyler hero is going to be that guy. He's developing it further he, as an offensive way, player. He might be, maybe I he will a big be. thing about right. Tyler hero last summer when he was like this sort of Durant. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell, you know, theoretical centerpiece. And 
my takeaway after watching tons of film on him was a, he needs to be a little more clay Thompson than he has been. Like, I get that you want to be a ball handler, but you also need to dial into this part of your game. Cause you're such yep. a good shooter, move and shoot fast. And I said, I think his upside to me, you can call it a ceiling. If you want his upside scenario is like CJ McCollum. I think he can be that good of a scorer. And like he's numbers wise, not even far away. It's a really good player. Like it's, it's not a perfect player. It's not an all-star. It's not, it's like CJ's never been an all-star. He's been close, but it's a really good player. I don't think that's as polarizing as he's gotten. I don't think that's like out of bounds. No, I don't think so either. And it's interesting you bring up CJ because I find that whole, there's a whole group of young rising two guards right now. Tyrese Maxey in Philly, Anthony Simons in Portland, Jordan Poole at the Warriors. Tyler Hero in Miami. I think all four of those guys are pretty fascinating to me because I sort of wonder if three or four years from now, we're going to look at them in sort of a similar group to guys like Tomata Sabonis, Julius Randle, John Collins, in the sense that in today's NBA, where things are going, if you're an offense first power forward, that's become a pretty devalued position in terms of being a, a player that drives winning doesn't mean those players are bad players. I love watching Demonis Sabonis play, but you have a ceiling if that's one of your best couple of players. And I do wonder if these offense first shooting guards that can't really guard anybody. You know, we saw Jordan Poole really struggle late in the playoffs last year. We saw Tyler before he got hurt. You know, struggle with the Celtics defensively. I love Tyrese Maxey. He certainly still has issues defensively. I just wonder if we're going to look in a couple of years at that same is kind of the guard equivalent of those forwards where they're really good players. They do a lot of things that help you win games. But if you're trying to be a team, like we both would agree, the Miami heat are a team that focuses on one thing, which is winning titles. And if they're not, they're trying to get back to that point again. Like, I don't know if CJ McCollum, if he's one of your top three guys, like maybe that player, maybe he could be a guy in a championship caliber team. Maybe, but I don't know if you can like that, if you're looking at the heat going forward, that to me is the number one question. Like, can Tyler Hero be good enough to make that a real big three? Or what I think is more likely is the contract he just signed. Is that the piece with the draft picks that he'd have? Is that what Miami uses to try to get that third guy? Whether it is Bradley Beal or it is somebody else down the road that they then put with Bam and Jimmy. And then there's their big three. I think well, that's the pivot point for Miami going forward, which is why that piece you wrote last summer was a very interesting one because it, it really laid out sort of what the trajectories for Tyler are and what it means for them. Yeah, and to your larger point, you know, when they were seven and eleven and really struggling, they may they may be seven and thirteen or I'm sorry, ten and thirteen after these games against Boston. They have Memphis after that. So it could be ten and fourteen. It could have the right. same oh my god conversation again in a week. Yep, there was a lot of like, should they just move on? from this era chatter, like, well, what, let me dial up some fake Jimmy Butler trades. I think they'll go the other way and try every possible means of stubbing this Jimmy Bam window. Maybe Kyle, if he's around next year, just a crack open, explore every possible. And the, by heat, way, the heat aren't about going backwards. No, that's not their move. Their move and, is to try to inc- is to try to incrementally increase, especially when they're close enough. We're like, I think we both agree they're able to make one move. They're right there with the teams at the top. Like, mm. it's not like they're, I mean, I'm, I'm talking one move, like to get a, a real player. I'm yeah, not talking about are, like, a, those teams are really good. <laughs> no, they're, they're really good. But I'm, I'm saying like, they're, they're close enough 
to being a championship contender that it's not a pipe dream that they could find a way to get a star and be right there. Yeah, that, that, that's that, my point. That's more much more likely to me than anything that goes the other direction. And look, at, real quickly to wrap up, there there are some reasons to hope that this team is better than its record. I mentioned the numbers with Jimmy. I think their offense has looked a little crisper in terms of its continuity that it it, it kind of lost earlier in the season. All that passing, cutting, it was kind of stalling out. I think that's that's back to some degree. They've been shooting horribly from like everywhere. Theoretically, yeah. that should perk That'll up. That'll get better. A little bit. And the fundamentals of their defense, they don't foul. They force a ton of turnovers. They they clean the glass pretty well. Like their fundamentals of their defense, they allow a lot of threes, but that's by design. The fundamentals are pretty good. And I even like in some games recently, Bam has been playing a little more conservatively on pick and roll instead of switching everything. And like against the Hawks, he was dropping early in possessions, which I like because teams have gotten on to if we can get Bam to switch with like 16 on the shot clock and Nobody just have the guy ring. hang yeah. out on the arc, he's out of the play. So the and, and they they are so small behind him. He was drop, 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 and then like with seven on the shot clock, if he's in a pick and roll, switch on to Trey Young so that he's in the play. He's not out of the play. Yeah, because Trey Young's got to attack him. I think that's pretty smart. So there are reasons. That I think this is still a good team. And God, yeah, knows. I mean, look, they're 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 like what eighth or ninth in offense right now. And I just looked. I think defense, they're ninth in defense. offense and are ninth in defense. And I think twenty third in offense. Like they're probably going to end up somewhere eighth to tenth in defense and probably fifteenth in offense. Like that's a good team. That's yeah, I mean that's a team that wins forty five to fifty games, which is probably. I mean I think you said five thirty eight projection win forty six. Like. They'll they'll probably win forty six to forty eight, and they'll be right there with, you know, that group of teams in the Middle East. Like I, I certainly think they're a good team. I just God knows I don't see the high level ceiling for them. God knows they've earned the benefit of the doubt. They're they're tough. They're gonna punch above their weight when they're riddled by injuries as they have been, and they're gonna have maybe more wins at the end of the season than you think. Tim Bontemps, what else can we look for from uh, from you this week? What do we got? Uh, who participated in Brian's Hoop Collective column today, wrote about John Morant and sliding doors. What could have been with the Knicks after he lit them up on Sunday? Never um, saw the movie Sliding Doors. Not that interested in it. I get it. <laughs> I get that, you know, certain events. Can, do I need to? Is it good? I haven't seen it either. I'm not. I'm the wrong guy to ask about movies. Uh, Hoop Collective pod on Friday and uh, bouncing around to uh, games. I'll be at Heat Celtics uh, Friday night. Looking forward to seeing the Heat in person. Tim Bontemps, thank you, sir. Always good to talk to you. Sounds good, buddy. Thanks for having me. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung 
smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. All right, let's end with a segment on a team and a city that is near and dear to my heart. And I'm going to bring in Eric Kareen from The Athletic. And I'm going to preface this by saying, Eric, it is out of the kindness of my own heart and my fondness for Toronto, Ontario, Moose, all of Canada, that I am not wearing my Luka Modric jersey today for this podcast. And I will say we need Canada to come out gung-ho, full throttle, get the first win in World Cup history against Morocco because Croatia still needs a little help if they lose to Belgium. So please, I I apologize for the 4-1, we'll call it a throttling uh, the other day. But I, I, I have no ill will, and I want you to come out playing hard. Uh, that's very magnanimous of you, done, done out of only the goodness of your own heart, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, the tough thing about the World Cup, uh, this is Canada's, for, me, for people who haven't been following, Canada's first appearance in the Men's World Cup since 1986 is, you know, it's a young team. And I think they learned some valuable lessons in both games, a a one nothing loss to Belgium, which they more or less dominated, and then a 4-1 loss to Croatia, which they did not dominate. Um, And you learn some important lessons, and then you have to wait at least four years to put them into practice. (laughs) That sort of sucks for the players and sucks for the people who have been following the program a lot more closely than I have. But uh, yeah, that was... uh, that was a humbling, uh, definitive result, as they might say in uh, soccer. Yes, you know, you you know, one th- one piece of advice I I could have told the coach this before the World oh, Cup no. is don't come out talking trash, dropping f bombs about how you're going to f up a team that made the finals in the last World Cup that's come third in a previous World Cup. And I can just tell you from personal experience, do not anger a group of burly, physically strong and fit. Croatian people because they will kick your freaking ass and like that. What is this coach thinking? Dropping talking trash after a loss before a game against Croatia? What is he doing? We can uh, we can segue here because uh, a reporter asked Pascal Siakam after the Raptors beat the Cavs on Monday night uh, if he watched the Cameroon game, uh, which was a three three draw, I believe it was Monday morning. And it was very early in the morning, and he said he watched the first half and and that, but he had to sleep or else he wasn't going to be able to play. Uh, So he's like, okay, well, we should have got that win, but now I guess we're going to have to go and beat Brazil. And uh, we didn't want to have to do this, but we're going to have to do it. And I and Lucas Nogueira, Bebe, uh, was actually at the Scotiabank Arena last night. So I asked Pascal Siakam if he would be uh, trash talking Bebe uh, about the forthcoming game between uh, Cameroon and Brazil. And he said, nah, nah, I'm not going to do that Canada thing. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, and I told him, we're still not joking about that. So <laughs> it's, Pascal uh, is. Pascal uh, yeah. talking about what is, yeah. uh, you know what? I don't have time to get into what Bebe is doing, just hanging around Raptors games. Let's talk about Toronto. As you mentioned um, just now, uh, they beat Cleveland rather emphatically at home in Toronto last night, Monday night. Cleveland was without Jared Allen, Kevin Love, and of course, Ricky Rubio, etc. Um, the Raptors got the band back, most of the band, other than Precious Achua, 
Pascal Siakam returned after three weeks out. Scotty Barnes returned after missing a few games. Fred Van Vliet's been back for a few games now after a brief absence. This team has been absolutely decimated by sort of small to medium term injuries. Their perspective starting five, which did not start last night and which we will talk about, um, which is Van Vliet, Trent, Barnes, Ananobi. Just by the way, Ananobi. Oh, my God. I he had a possession last night. First of all, he irritated the hell out of Donovan Mitchell the entire game, as he's been doing to everybody all season long in leading the league in steals and guarding any position you want. He had a position late in the game where he just locked up Donovan one on one. Donovan tried to drive, kind of got into his chest, got to the foul line and was like, I'm not getting it's not going to happen. Kicked it to the corner. Dean Wade. Dean Wade for all your accounting needs. Dean Wade was like, all right, I got to drive a closeout. I'm going to get to the rim. And OG just kind of hung in the paint verticality, just like Dean Wade just vanished. Dean Wade was sucked into a black hole of defensive, just terror. That dude is a monster. And of course, Siakam starting at center. That group's played only 75 minutes the whole year. It's the most minutes any Raptors lineup has played, which is very little. And yet, yet Eric Kareen. This team's 11 and 9, 11th in offense, 7th in defense, 7th in point differential, plus 10 per 100 possessions with Siakam on the floor. Siakam's playing not just at an all NBA level, at a borderline first team all NBA level. They're healthy again for the most part. Is this team, I don't want to say a sleeping giant in the East because the Bucs and the Celtics are so good. But is this team a sleeping tall person in the East, like a sleeping almost giant, a, a team that, dare I say, should make the second round of the playoffs and could could push one of these juggernauts pretty hard? Like, how good is this team? I'm encouraged, and it's not by what they did without without Pascal Siakam, other than they survived without him. Like, they went 5-5. Five and five, but if you look at the underlying statistics there, like they were not good. Uh, it's never they, pretty. It's yeah. never, even in the best of moments, it's never yeah. pretty for the Raptors. They, they did all the Raptors y things. Like they dominated the offensive glass, they dominated the turnover battle. They would be getting up to like 20 more shots than, than their opponent. And, uh, I forgot the exact numbers in the in the final game played without Pascal Siakam there uh, against Dallas and and Luka Doncic, but uh, they dominated the possession battle and Dallas didn't shoot a damn worth three and they won by I think it was five points. So like the and and OG the, Ananobi annoyed the hell out of Luka yeah, Doncic yeah, the entire was, game. But that was how difficult things were. I, I guess is, is my point. And to their credit, they found a way to you know, get enough where they didn't, I mean, it's sort of hard to fall out of the picture right now because everybody's basically 500, um, but, but they found a way to get enough wins to hang in, hang in there. And when Pascal Siakam has been out there, uh, and again, small sample, now we're only looking at 10 games with Pascal Siakam, the offense the half-course offense is choppy, but it's managing. The defense is excellent with an improved, uh, you know, it's not just turnovers or bust. Like the sort of, the shot profile they're allowing isn't great, but it's not abysmal. Um, that, that And I think that's what has me optimistic as they're, they've done that. 
uh, when Siakam has been on the floor. And if Siakam, you know, can keep this level of play, which, as you say, is like borderline first team uh, all NBA, they're going to be a really dangerous team. You know, we don't know what I, I think of the teams you mentioned. Philly is the biggest question mark along with Brooklyn who let's not talk about because that can go in any number of ways. Yeah, we this is going to be yeah, this yeah, is going to be a Nets free, free podcast. Yes. A Nets free zone. Um, um I, I think those are the two teams that other than Cleveland who I really like when they're fully healthy belong in that sort of similar conversation. Uh but the Raptors can start thinking big the healthier they get and from what I've seen when Siakam is there and most of the guys are there this is going to be a team that's, uh, you know, uh, it it can reasonably hope to get to the second round. I would say not a lock, but they could, they should think they have a, a more than a puncher's chance, a decent chance of getting there. Yeah, one of the biggest questions in the league right now is, and, and I've heard this on a lot of different platforms, is is Cleveland in the same tier? as Milwaukee and Boston, you know, is their, their point differential is by the numbers, they look like, okay, they're ready. They're ready to contend. They have their big four, blah, blah, blah. I personally don't buy that. I don't think Cleveland is in that tier. I think Cleveland is really, really good, but untested, still learning, still young. Now we'll see when they get healthy. As I mentioned, all the guys that were out, I think they're closer to the teams that you just mentioned than they are to the Bucks and the Celtics. But uh, let's get into the Raptors a little bit. You mentioned it. The possession game is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we knew this is how they play. We knew this is how they are going to make up for so-so shooting and a half-court offense that ranks ranks 30th in half-court points per possession for the season last. They're going to win the possession game. So to, to that point, second in offensive rebounding, third in turnovers on offense. So they don't turn the ball over and they rebound a lot of their own misses. You're already a leg up right there. First in forcing turnovers on defense by a lot. First in deflections by a lot. And last time I checked, eighth in defensive rebounding. So they're just destroying rebounding and turnovers. They're getting up. I don't even know how how many extra shots a game, like 10? Uh, It's uh, Last I checked, so this was before the Cleveland game, they were taking exactly 10 more field goals than their opponents per 100 possessions. It's it's ridiculous. And it's making up for the fact that their half-court offense is a slog. All those deflections and turnovers mean they get out in transition more than any team in the league because of their weirdness, their gigantic weirdness. The fact that they play huge players other than Fred Van Vliet at all times, a lot of those transition opportunities just turn into, okay, which one of our giant guys has a point guard on him? Feed him the ball, let him post up, let him ISO. They're second in the league in isolations behind only Dallas, which is basically Luka, and they are 27th in efficiency on isolation. So that that to me actually represents some hope because that number will come up as Siakam plays more. He's been very efficient going one-on-one, but this team is playing exactly to their identity. They know who they are. They're getting healthy and Boucher has been outstanding off the bench all season. His three hasn't been there, but I don't really care the way he's been so active, particularly on the offensive glass. Otto Porter has barely played. He could be an important part of their team. Achua I don't know what the hell is going on with Precious. He just hasn't played very well. But when he comes back, I think they have enough depth to be a really, really solid team. And, you know, conference finals is ambitious given how good the top two in the East are. But 
I think this team, I'll put it this way. I think this team is too good for the front office, in my opinion, to say, let's see what we can get for Van Vliet in terms of future draft equity since we haven't extended him yet. Let's see if there's any like small step back, maybe medium step forward deals that we can make. Because as you know, there's been a lot of Van Vliet noise. There's always a lot of Anunobi noise. I personally don't buy it. We can talk about that. There's been a lot of Trent noise. Trent has a player option for next season. Nick Nurse called him out in a like ultra aggressive style a couple weeks ago about how he, if he wants to play for our team, he's got to get back to being disruptive defense deflections. Gary Trent is like, if he wants to play, what are you gonna play Malachi Flynn over Gary Trent Jr. Um, Jeff Downton Jr. Baby, I mean that was an eye opening. That was an eye opening little monologue from Nick Nurse. But I think this team is too good for those moves, for those kinds of moves. Uh, what what do, what 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 have you heard about that? All that stuff and sort of how this team looks at itself in that sense. Look, I generally agree with what you just said. I'd be surprised with a move backwards type trade. The one exception there, and I think we're to be clear, a long way. Well, however long two months is, but you know. They're going to play most of that out, I would expect, is Trent. Um, And that's not because they don't like him to some degree, but, you know, Fred Van Vliet, he hasn't been extended for the same reason that a lot of guys aren't extended. They can't pay him what he'll get in free agency. Uh, That's my read on it, at least. I think they can pay him 113 over four, and some team, including the Raptors, will probably offer him more. Um, then Pascal Siakam and likely OG Ananobi come up next summer. Uh, Ananobi has a player option that he might as well cancel now. For 24, stay, for 24, yeah, 25. Assuming he stays healthy. And then there's, you know, Scotty Barnes is in his second year. And, and after 24, you start to think about what's probably, let's face it, a max extension. Well, and uh, I think I think Barnes is why you at least have to go through the mental exercise of like, what could we get for Van Vliet? Because you have this budding star who's 20, I don't know, 20, 21, very, very young. And you have this other timeline of guys in their absolute apex prime of Van Vliet, Siakam, Anunobi's kind of in the middle. I don't, that's not a problem to me. I don't really care. Like, but, but, but Barnes is, by the way, Barnes, what a perfect place for Scotty Barnes. He gets to play a lot, stretch himself, stretch all of his skills and he can do a little bit of everything, but he's not the best ball handler on the team. He's not the best defender on the team. He's not the best shooter on the team. He's not the best ISO post guy on the team. So he gets to kind of both stretch himself and not get stretched too far. It's like a perfect, perfect spot for him. Yeah. And you saw some of the areas to grow while Pascal Siakam was out and he was healthy, but we can get into that a bit, but just to to finish my point, if you're going to pay Fred Van Vliet, like a, above average starter like like we could say right now well the cap's going up the bri's going up every deal's a good deal fine but if you're going to pay fred van vliet like an above average starter if you're going to pay og ananobi like an above average starter which they are by the way if you're going to pay pascal siakam whatever his max ends up being and if he's a first team all nba it's going to be a lot if you're going to pay Scotty Barnes the rookie max, which I would still bet on being Check. the result. Check. It's hard to pay a fifth guy uh, like uh, as an above average starter when Gary Trent's best role, and this is something you just said you want to get into, might be sixth man. 
So I think they'll probably, they probably owe it to themselves to see what's out there for Trent at the deadline. That's also something that can become a sign and trade in the off season. We'll see, but he's the one name where I would slow down with why figure it out now. Uh, the other, like trading Fred Van Vliet at the deadline. I don't think unless something really weird happens, that's coming. Uh, so that's sort of how how I see things and how I think the team sees things. Yeah, to to be clear, the only reason there's Fred Van Vliet noise is because of the extension not happening for the reasons you just said. And just because he's sort of the only guy on the team who doesn't fit this model of like ultra length, ultra deflections, ultra, although he's a pesky defensive player, obviously, but they also don't have anybody who can do what he does. And you can sit here and say, well, they could go point guard by committee which they often do when he rests, like Siakam, Barnes, all of that, they still just don't have anyone who can run the volume of pick and rolls like him, who can shoot off the dribble from three like him. Um, so I would be I would be surprised too. Although one fake trade that I, I just made up that I've pitched around the league is Van, Van Vliet for Kyle Lowry and a Heat first round pick. And I don't think either team would do it. It would just be kind of fun. But we're, we've just I just talked about I, I just talked about the heat with Tim Bontem. So it's been on my mind. Um, I don't think either team does that. But yeah, I mean, and Ananobi, there was all this reporting in the last year. You've you've read it. It's not it's public. I mean, about Uzoji yeah. and Ananobi unhappy with his role. And does he want more touches? And like. If if I'm a side you're like, I don't I don't really care. Like, we'll make you as happy as we can make you. Like, we got a lot of good players on the team. You're averaging 20 a game, getting a lot, getting to do a lot of stuff, particularly when Pascal was out. And we'll see what happens now when the whole gang's back together, but it's not like you're, it's not like you're Danny green. You're getting to do a lot of stuff. And not only that, like, why am I in a rush? Why am I trading you for, if, if some team offers me like four first round picks or three first round picks, I'll think about it. But other than that, you're exactly the player. Every good team wants like what I, I just, I just don't see anything happening there. Yeah. That's, that's the thing about it is like, you can't, <laughs> this is sort of the Raptors philosophy in general, but you can't have enough OG Ananobis, right? So the Raptors just draft them every year. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, every team, like look at Cleveland, for example, who, again, I really like. And, you know, if I had to choose one team to win a playoff series this year, against, like if Cleveland was playing Toronto first round, everybody's fully healthy, I'd probably take Cleveland. That's what I thought before the year, and that's sort of what I thought. But it could go either way. Like, I, I would predict a seven-game series, we'll see. But, like, stick OG Ananobi in Cleveland's starting lineup, and you've got a monster all of a sudden. Like, he's exactly what they need. And he's exactly what, you know, 24 or 25 teams need. And and now that he's unlocked... You know, we, we've been sort of waiting in Toronto for him to become the uber defender that he is now showing himself to be. Like, uh, he's always been able to guard any player, but can he thrive guarding any player? And that's what we're seeing this year, in addition to the just terrorizing ball handlers and off the uh, and off the ball actions, uh, you know, both in, both in the same play sometimes. Uh, so... He has a ton of value, uh, and I think the key, if you want to keep Ananobi happy, and I think there was some element of truth to his, you know, lack of full contentment, let's say, is when, when Siakam comes back, 
learn a bit from what you did while he was out. Now, not too much. This is the 30th ranked half court offense, as, as you mentioned. Um, but, you know, you can have him coming off of screens or pin downs and get him moving toward the basket that way. You can find, uh, you know, I don't love him in the post, but you can find a possession or two for him in the post. Before he was out, it was like a 16 or 17% usage. Last year with, with Siakam, it was also below 20. If you can get that right around 20, it's just an easy number to pick. Um, and it not all be corner threes or transition threes. I think that's basically what he wants because he's talked out loud about thinking he can be the best defend defensive player in the year and that sort of being one of his goals. So you're giving him the platform to do that now. Now it's just about allowing him to grow in the same way that you've prioritized allowing Scotty Barnes to grow uh, or in a similar way, let's say. Yeah. And he might be the front runner for defensive player of the year right now. Um, I, I don't, I'm not really ready to dive into that award 18, 20 games into the season, but he might be. He's been um, damn good. Yeah. And, you know, when they're fully optimized and actually trying to win, like if they're playing almost a playoff style rotation, I think personally they should stagger Van Vliet and Siakam. They should never sit both of them together because they're the most important creators on their team. You know, Siakam is like an artist on these inverted pick and rolls with Van Vliet screening for him and all that. And in those minutes, Ananobi is also on the floor. When one of those guys sits, Ananobi is on the floor and Ananobi gets to eat a little bit. Uh, you mentioned shot profile. We should get on that very briefly. Uh, we know this team is going to allow a crap ton of threes, and they do. That's by design. They protect the rim at, at all costs. However, they are also allowing a lot of shots at the rim this season and very few mid-rangers. I think it's extreme even for them. Um, they are also getting roasted at the rim, which is the reason they drafted Coloco. Just can we get one actual giant person here? But he hasn't been playing much lately. So that that does worry me. But on offense, they have been ice cold from everywhere. Mid-range, rim, threes. They're not a great shooting team, but I think there is reason to think they'll bump up a little bit there. Their shot profile just is what it is. This is how they play. They're betting they can fly in and out with their length and their speed and their aggressiveness and contest enough of those threes. Make them late in the clock so you got to rush them because they're going to rotate on this pass, on that pass, on that pass, and all of a sudden there's a three on the shot clock. It's just a bet. And the numbers suggest they're kind of more or less winning that bet. I I, I kind of trust their defense, especially if they're going to rebound like this. To me, the overarching question of their team is just, are they going to be able to score enough in the half court when it really matters? And that's when I want to see more of their best guys on the floor together and see how that looks in 30 or 40 games. Yeah, I'd say the one note about the defense is they've got to get better at defending at the at the rim. And in Coloco's, Christian Coloco's really good minutes this year, um, you could see the value of having a guy oh. like that there. Uh, now he's been very foul prone and isn't ready for, you know, 25 minutes a game, certainly. But you can see why they would be active in talks for somebody like Jakob Pertl, who everybody's in active and talk beloved and we'll beloved to former bench mob raptor yes yak and skills bring them back together again uh but uh, and i would be curious to see if they can pull off a move like that uh 
but that's sort of the the deadline type move that I'm thinking of not you know much bigger in scale than that uh the offense I mean they shot 28 percent from three while Pascal Siakam was out <laughs> um that's not because Pascal wasn't taking a bunch of threes it's more because he wasn't setting up Although he is shooting more threes this year and shooting yeah. decently. Yeah, yeah, they're mostly catch and shoots, uh, still not much pull-up stuff, which you really saw right. the year the the year after the title. He was about, I think he was 33 or 34% on, on pull-ups, and then they just sort of vanished from his game. And I think in order to make the Raptors a bit more dangerous offensively, I'd love to see him, you know, come around a screen and, and take those elbow threes every so often, but he's got to make them. So, you know. You, you take the first step that's available and he is making them. But Pascal Siakam sets up the best three-pointers on this team. Um, he sets up the best one. Like Scotty Barnes had looked pretty good to start the year on his three-pointer and almost all of them were set up by Pascal Siakam. Uh, you know, Bo, OG, I don't know, before as good as he played through that stretch, he was abysmal from three-point range because those shots weren't being created against Cleveland in transition. Scotty Barnes finds him twice. Uh, Pascal Siakam finds him once he ends up with four threes um I'm not saying Siakam's the sole reason they shot 28 percent from three during that absence Gary Trent has been uh you know having a brutal stretch of basketball and and I sort of think him coming off the bench and and we can get into that topic is something that will probably continue for a little bit uh but yeah you need to see their guys playing together a lot more before you can draw any firm conclusions and not to be too reductive but like Siakam's making his playmaking has just been at another level this year it assists a game yeah and when you got when you have a guy and he's still not like an automatic double team so when you have a guy who's reading what's in front of him and what's behind him so well and limiting turnovers and he can do it you know with going to the basket or he can do it out of the post it gives them a lot of options is it the most beautiful brand of basketball not unless that young's uh throwing a cutting uh, a pass to a cutting Juancho Hernan Gomez but um two starters uh, currently for, yeah. for the Raptors I'm not yeah. sure how long that'll last um, uh, but but we'll yeah see. like it's not going to be super pretty but I I think with the start that Siakam had before the injury, I, I'm very loath to draw too many conclusions about, oh, this half-court offense just can't hack it. I don't think it'll be awesome, but I think it'll be better than this. That's fair, and and we'll see. We'll talk about the starting five another day because I, I got I to gotta move it along. But um, we didn't mention they do have all their draft picks, which is which is why they were linked to a certain... Brooklyn Nets superstar over the summer, but that's a discussion for another day. I don't really envision <laughs> anything like that happening. Um, they're not trading Scotty Barnes, period. End of story. Eric Kareen of The Athletic uh, covers the Raptors like no other. Just tremendous work. I will see you in three weeks in Toronto when the Raptors have a, just a monster homestand. I haven't been to Toronto in ages. I can't wait to come and uh, knock on wood. Nothing disrupts my trip as Omicron did last year when we had to cancel at the last minute and uh, maybe we can meet up at a local Firkin. Yeah. I can't, I can't sit through any more empty arenas. So uh, yeah, let's, let's hope for all of those things, please. <laughs> Eric Kareen. Thank you, sir. Exactly. Good to be here.